And I feel like dedicating this message at this hour to my uncle who took his gun to church. And then I feel like dedicating this to my grandmother who went clear up into the attic every time my uncle came to, to tell her about what was on his heart. And then I feel like dedicating it to my, to my mother who made a decision for the Lord Jesus Christ and for added light that came to her heart and to her life. Let me share it with you. For there are five of us Kuhn brothers who became ministers. And it all began with that night that my uncle took his gun to church. It really was a tent church. Let me give you a little bit of the background first. In this community in northern New York where this took place, there was a rumor spreading all over the country. They said there were some Sabbath keepers coming to pitch a tent in that area. And they said they were very dangerous people. And so the whole community was, was alerted for these dangerous people that would be coming into their area. Somehow, someone was kind enough to let them have a lot on which to pitch the tent. And you can imagine how the community must have felt toward that individual who would let such people come in. Among the people, though, that were quite courageous was my uncle. He said, I'm going to find out what kind of people these are. So he said, I'm going to the tent. He was kind of rough and ready, as you might imagine. And he said, they're not going to scare me. So he took his big gun with him to church, his shotgun, a good long one. <laughs> and uh, he didn't go in the tent because he wanted to be far enough back, I understand, so that he could watch in all directions if anyone should try to sneak up in back of him, you see. So he sat a distance from the tent, perhaps 50 feet. Maybe he was on a log. I'm not sure where he was sitting. But there he was sitting there with his gun in his lap, watching in all directions. And by and by, the hour of the song service arrived. A very fine, young-looking young man stepped onto the rostrum. A lady stepped to the piano. And he announced a song. And he said, there's some songbooks in the seats. You may op open your songbook to number so-and-so. And they began to sing religious songs. And my uncle was amazed. These people are singing religious songs? Songs to Jesus. Something like, more about Jesus I would know. More of his love to others show. More of his love to others show? Maybe I, well, I still better keep my gun <laughs> just in case that might be hypocrisy. So he kept it, and uh, he had a pretty good firm grip on it just in case, you know. And after there were several of those beautiful songs sung, then another minister stepped onto the rostrum, and he opened his Bible and announced his topic. And every text of Scripture he read in solemnity and yet in holy joy, and he based his entire message on the Word of God. My uncle had once been a Christian, but he'd backslidden. He'd gone back into the world. He'd picked up many of its evil habits. 
And as the Word of God was preached, something was happening to my uncle's heart. He came the next night and the next night and the next night and finally decided, I'm sure I don't need my gun. So he left his gun at home, and he then took the sword of the Spirit, which is the Word of God. He drew closer and closer and finally dared to come in and sit down at the tent and began to take notes. And every message that was preached in that tent by the Sabbath-keeping minister was authorized, documented, upheld by the living word of our wonderful Lord. As the days came and went, night after night and week after week, for in those days they held long series, my uncle found a strange something happening in his heart. And as the appeal was made for the hearts that would surrender to Jesus Christ, those for the first time are those who had wandered away. My uncle found the voice speaking, I stand at the door and knock. If any man hear my voice and open the door, I will come into him. I will sup with him and he with me. And my uncle said, Lord, take my heart. It's pretty rotten. It's vile. But I've understood from these meetings that you are the creator. And so create in me a clean heart, O Lord, was the thought of his soul. And renew a right spirit within me. Lord, I have had the completely the wrong concept of these people. The gossip, the rumors, the criticism, the slander that had spread all over the country, my uncle found to be so completely untrue. His whole soul went out to these dedicated men of God who only wanted to uplift Jesus Christ, the crucified, and God forbid that I should glory save in the cross. Amen? The cross of our Lord Jesus Christ by whom I'm crucified unto the world. The world is crucified unto me. Uncle had a new experience. He was a new creature in Christ Jesus. 2 Corinthians 5, 17 says, if any man be in Christ, he's what? Everybody. He's a new creature. All things are passed away. All things are become new. This is the business of our creator. He was in the world. The world was made by him. And the world knew him not. He came unto his own, and his own received him not. But as many as received him, to them gave he power to become the sons of God, even to them that believe on his name. My friends, this is righteousness by faith. The sinner, the vile sinner, the unworthy sinner, can look up in the face of infinite love and say, Lord, you promised me you would forgive my sins. In simple childlike faith, I claim your forgiveness. I accept your forgiveness. I accept your cleansing, for you've said you'll forgive and cleanse. Lord Jesus, come into my heart. And he said, he will come in. He'll sup with us. We'll sup with him. That's a fellowship in Jesus Christ. You know, you can't describe it. The psalmist said, taste and see that the Lord is good. You can't describe the love of God. You can invite people to taste for themselves. Let me, let me give you an example. When my wife and I went to the West Indies, our host and hostess had been there for a year or two, and they said, uh, have you ever had any mangoes? I said, 
what are mangoes? Oh, he said, let me describe a mango. <laughs> he said, the mango is one of the most delicious fruits in which you can ever sink your teeth, except you can't sink your teeth into these because they're so full of strings. You see, they weren't grafted mangoes. He said, I want to describe the taste of a mango to you and how you eat one. He said, now you take off your coat, you roll up your sleeves, you take the mango in your hands, you reach out over a, oh, some big tub. And he said, then as you begin to eat, he said, you, you crane your neck, and as you eat, the mango juice will go down your arms and drip off your elbows. And he said, the taste, the taste is out of this world. He said, the mango tastes like honey mixed with turpentine. Oh, it's delicious. I thought, what? He said, you just have to taste for yourself. My friends, do you think that description was any real description? Yes. But you couldn't describe it. I said, well, I'm, you're pretty good people, the idea. I guess I'll try it. I didn't want to offend them. And so I took a mango, and I reached way out, and everything happened that he said. As I, as I peeled it and I took it in my mouth, it began to go down here, drip, drip, drip drip and oh brother talk about a mango I'd walk a mile for a mango how many of you would let's see your hands why yes but you can't describe it you can't describe the fellowship that's found in Jesus Christ to the person who has never known Jesus they just sit there and think what in the world are you kind of dingling you're telling us what joy there is in him? We've never found that joy. My uncle had that joy. And as he continued attending the meetings, he found that the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ has appeared to all men. He found that grace was in the Old Testament and faith in the Old Testament mingled with the law of God. He found that all the worthies of Old Testament days lived by faith in obedience to the Ten Commandments. Oh, we ought to have a thousand men like Joseph in every city of America who by faith found that purity. He found in the New Testament the Ten Commandments and grace and faith are all combined. And he was amazed. And then he learned that the law that was nailed to the cross was not the Ten Commandment law. It was the law's law of lambs, goats, the offering of blood, sacrifices and the yearly Sabbath that went with them not the fourth commandment that always points back to creation and never once to the sacrifice of Jesus he said I'm going to keep the day and then he became so enthused <laughs> so enthused that he said I'm going over and tell my mother-in-law about it for he was my uncle-in-law so he came over to Grandmother Higby's place and he said, Mother Higby, I want to tell you the most wonderful thing that has taken place in all the world. And he began to talk to her about the Sabbath. And she said, listen, what's wrong with you? She said, you know, I have kept the first day of the week all my lifetime in honor of Christ's resurrection. 
All you've got to do, she said, is to read the Bible and you'll find that that's why we keep Sunday, because of Christ's glorious resurrection. She said, that's what the Bible says. That's how it says we memorialize it. He said, no, 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 mother. The Bible doesn't say that. The Bible says the way we memorialize his re resurrection is by baptism and the new life. She said, no way. He said, yes, it is. I'll read it to you from the Bible. She said, just be quiet. <laughs> just be quiet and go on and pebble, peddle your papers. Well, he said, you mean you aren't willing to listen? She said, I have known Jesus for years. I've loved him for years. I don't need any of this newfangled thing. I know what the Bible says. He said, but the Bible doesn't say that we honor Christ's resurrection by keeping a day. She said, yes, it does. It does. He said, no way. Well, she said, listen, I have no more time. So she excused him. The next time she saw him coming to the house, she knew he would be full of his subject. You know what she did? She went upstairs. And then she went up another flight of stairs. She went way up into the attic. And she said to her daughters, when he comes, you tell him I'm busy and I have no time for him. So she went way up in the attic, but you know, she'd been challenged. She said, wait a minute, to herself, I know what the Bible says, but I'm just going to get ready and I'm going to give him the texts that tell us that the reason we keep the first day of the week is because Christ was raised from the dead. I'll find them quickly. And she began to search and she couldn't find it. She said, I don't, something must be wrong with my eyes. What's, uh, it's here bless her heart. And she knelt down and prayed and asked God to guide her. She said, Lord, it's here somewhere. I've heard it all my life. And as she read the eight texts that mentioned the first day of the week, she was literally astonished to find that not one place did it ever even suggest that they ever kept the first day in honor of Christ's resurrection. She could hardly believe her eyes or her ears. She began to read more and more. She prayerfully studied. As she prayed and as she studied, she said, Dear Lord, I've loved you all my life. And she had. They wouldn't sew a button on their garments on Sunday. She was one of the most beautiful Methodist people. But my friends, there are, in my opinion, great masses of other beautiful Christians in the Methodist Church and the Baptist Church and other wonderful fundamental churches. They're scattered all over the world. Beautiful Christians. It ill behooves any Sabbath keeper to look down our nose at any Sunday-keeping Christian. Amen? Don't do it, beloved. I know what a kind of a woman my grandmother was. She was a saint of God. She was a saint in a Sunday suit. As she studied it, she came to the conclusion that she must follow the Lord Jesus Christ. And so she said to her children, I'm going to keep the seventh day. I was sincere, but now that I've learned that I was wrong, I'm not going to say I'm going to continue doing it just because I've done it all my life. I love the Lord and I'm going to walk with my Lord in all the light he gives me. I say, praise God. What do you say? One of her daughters' name was Emma. 
she was a, a girl late in her teens, and she was listening attentively and studying the Bible with her mother. And she came to the same conclusion, and so did some of the other daughters. But Grandfather Higby, he said, listen, there's nothing to this. I want nothing to do with it whatsoever. He was very busy, hadn't had time to study it. But Mother Higby said, as for me, I must walk in the light of Jesus. I've given my heart to him years ago. He's accepted my obedience to the best of my knowledge. But the path of the just is like a shining light. It shines more and more under the perfect day. Light is sown for the righteous. She said, I'm going to keep it. And Emma, her daughter, said, Mother, I'm going to keep it too. Emma was preparing to go to school that fall, to a school in that very area. But now that she learned the seventh day was the Sabbath, she said, I wonder if there's some Sabbath-keeping school that I might attend. And she learned there was one in Rome, New York. And so as she talked to her mother and father about it, Grandfather Higby said, Emma, if you go to any other school except a Sabbath-keeping school, I'll pay your entire way. If you go to a Sabbath-keeping school, I will not pay you one penny. I will not invest one cent. And Emma said, I still believe the Lord will take care of me. And her mother said, Emma, Jesus will take care of you. You know, there are many promises. If we seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, our living will be what? Added. Matthew 6, 33. Philippians 4, 19. My God shall supply all your need. Emma went to Rome, New York. As she was studying there, she met a gentleman by the name of Charles S. Kuhn, who was studying for the ministry. She was greatly impressed with his sincerity, his Christian life, and he was greatly impressed with her sincerity, her humility, her deep Christianity. They got to talking about the love of Jesus, their mutual interest, the love of his holy word. And you know what happened? You've guessed it. They not merely became friends, they became sweethearts. Father had been married and had one son, Arthur Kuhn, and his wife had died. He'd gone to school to further his ed education, and now there he met Emma, who became my mother. My mother and father had seven children. Five of us boys became Seventh-day Adventist ministers. When mother was carrying us close to her heart, she would put her hand on her abdomen and say, Lord, I dedicate my boys to winning souls for Jesus Christ. When I was a little boy, at the age of six, mother told me the story of Jesus, and it broke my heart, and I accepted him. Again and again and again, my mother would look into my eyes with the deepest sincerity, and she said, Son, God is calling you to be a Samuel, or he's calling you to be a, a, a David, or he's calling you to be a Moses or a Joseph. Son, God is calling you. God has a mission for you. She carried that message to every one of her children. God has a, a mission for you to fulfill in life and dedicate your hearts and lives to Jesus Christ. My friends, I thank God for that uncle. Though he took his gun to church, he listened. 
He didn't shrug his shoulders and turn it aside. I thank God that my grandmother, though a beautiful Sunday-keeping saint, was willing to study to be sure what God actually says. I thank God that she wasn't turned off because my uncle, in spite of the fact that my uncle was overly enthusiastic, he didn't use good diplomacy, but she still would walk in the light. My friends, thank God for men and women who are willing to make a decision for Jesus Christ. Don't you want to make a decision for him? Have you never given your heart to Jesus before in your life? Or were you once his child and have you slipped away? Wouldn't you like to say, Lord, all to Jesus I surrender. My surrender to Jesus, my special commitment to Jesus is not merely for myself. It is like a stone thrown in a pool. The ripples go on and on. The influence never ceases. And in the kingdom of heaven, we shall see many dear, dear individuals who are there because we were willing to undergo persecution, misunderstanding, or what have you, to walk with Jesus. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, I want to thank you beyond words for godly parents, human though they were. I thank you, dear Lord, for men and women who are here in this auditorium at this time and who are viewing this program. Father, there are those who right now are fighting a battle between right and wrong, between sensuality and the purity of Jesus, between the truth and error. Lord, right now, will you by your Holy Spirit give them the strength to say, all to Jesus I surrender. Thank you for hearing us in Jesus' name. Amen. And God bless you. Now for our questions and answers, but first let us ask the Lord's blessing. Dear Lord in heaven, we thank you that in the time of trouble and difficulty and perplexity and confusion and frustration, you are still the same. And so we come to you, and you've said, you'll keep us in perfect peace when our minds are stayed on thee because we trust in thee. We trust in you to give us the answers to our questions because you've promised it, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. This questioner says, I've heard you say or read it somewhere that we should be careful not to attempt to limit or circumscribe the Holy Spirit. What about circumscribing in relation to the tongue's manifestation? This is a very excellent and sincere question. I know what you mean. You know, our beautiful Christian friends who are in the tongues movement oftentimes are wondering about this. And we're wondering and praying about it. And you know, I'm greatly concerned over it because when someone says that the only way by which I can prove that I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit is by speaking in tongues, I say, God forbid that they should circumscribe the Holy Spirit this way. For 1 Corinthians chapter 12 says, the baptism or the infilling of the Holy Spirit is manifested by the gift of prophecy, by the gift of faith, by many other gifts. It says, severally as he will. The moment that we start circumscribing or limiting the power of the Holy Spirit or the baptism of the Holy Spirit to one gift, we're completely out of place. We may be very sincere, but we certainly are not biblical. 
What answer, says this questioner, should one give to a person who asks why I don't eat certain articles of diet? For instance, I don't personally eat pork because I believe the Bible says one shouldn't. Uh, in answering questions of this type, friends, there are two phases. The phase of attitude is just as important as what we say. For instance, if when someone asks a sincere, simple, innocent question like this, if I uh, take the attitude that, uh, the attitude of a teacher, let's say, or as though I were more righteous than this person, then I'm out of place. Uh, however, if I take the attitude of sharing and very simply stating, uh, I believe that it's more healthful from what I've understood to eat other things rather than pork so that my answer will not make this person feel that I'm belittling him. I remember when my wife and I were were going as missionaries, we were on the steamer in those days instead of going by plane. That's 40 years ago and more. Uh, we announced to the, uh, to the girl, the stewardess, uh, not, that we were vegetarians, which we happened to be. And, uh, but we took milk and we ate eggs. And we became quite friendly, and she became very warm toward us. And finally one day she said, if you don't mind, and she smiled, do you, could you tell me? She said, why do, you, uh, why do you not eat chicken, but you eat eggs? You don't eat beef, but you drink milk. And I thought to myself, she's so sweet and kind and wholesome and happy. Why don't I give her kind of a happy answer? So I said, well, you see, we don't, uh, we don't eat uh, beef, but we eat the milk. We don't eat an apple tree, but we eat the apple. And she laughed and she said, oh, thank you so much. So the big part in answering questions is for us not to appear to be sanctimonious or extra learned. Is there another question? Don't you believe that if we live up to all the principles of God's Word, we shall be saved? You see, the fact that all have sinned, Romans 3.23, the fact that all have already sinned means if we lived up to every principle of His Word, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified. If I obey everything God tells me from now on, that does not take care of the sin that I've committed. The wage of that sin that I've committed is death. So Jesus had to die in my place in order to give me salvation. Now then, I cannot even now live up to the principles of his word except through faith in Jesus Christ. For it is God that worketh in us both to will and to do of his good pleasure, Philippians 2, 3. I am crucified with Christ. Nevertheless, I live, yet not I, but Christ liveth in me. The life that I now live in the flesh, I live by the faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. Uh, this is Galatians chapter 2, verse 20 and 21. You see, any principle that I want to live up to, I cannot actually live up to it 
in a way that pleases God, except as Jesus lives this in me. Otherwise, it's completely imperfect. Would you venture a guess as to how long it will be before Jesus comes? Like two years, five years, ten years, or twenty-five years? No, but I would venture to tell you what a lot of people have done and made a mistake, myself included. I have, uh, the, I remember back, uh, oh, 40 years ago, we are holding an evangelistic series of meetings in a tent, and a man walked up to me and he said, look, how long do you think it'll be before Jesus comes? Oh, I said, he's coming very soon, I believe. He said, do you think it might be within the quarter of the century? Oh, I said, definitely so. Friends, the quarter of the century is already passed and 15 years beside. So I've learned that when Jesus said, no man knows the day or the hour, that I'm not even going to indicate what year, because I don't know the year either. But there's this that's very important, to balance this. He said, in an hour that you think not, the Son of Man cometh. So we are to be in a constant state of preparation, a constant state of communion and fellowship with Jesus Christ. I like it the way one of our ministers, his name was W.A. Spicer, put it many years ago. And he was preaching on this text, for in an hour that you think not, the Son of Man cometh. He said, Beloved, if you sin in the morning, confess that sin in the morning. If you sin at noon, confess that sin at noon. If you confess, if you sin in the evening, confess that before you lie down to rest. For in an hour you think not, the Son of Man cometh. Isn't that good counsel? God bless you. I have a friend who admits that Sabbath keeping is right, but no matter how often I suggest to him that he should walk in the light, as I am doing, uh, it just falls off his back like water off a duck's back. What uh, should I do? <laughs> it's like somebody, uh, and I'm not trying to be facetious, you understand. Like someone put in a question several years ago. They said they were passing out tracts to their friends. And they said, I came to a home where the lady came to the door and she wouldn't accept my tracts. She said, what would you do when you go to a home where they won't accept your tracts? And I thought, well, I'll put the answer rather humorously. And I said, how about making tracks back home? You see, the truth behind this little humor is God never wants us to play God. He never wants us to play Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit does the work of convicting. And you see, the more we try to rub it in and the more we pick on people and the more we remind them, the more we cause them to put up their defenses because though they may not analyze it, there's something within the human heart that knows that it ought not to be pushed around by another human being. And so in rejecting our pushing attitude, which itself is contrary to the whole gospel, they're liable to reject the truth that we promulgate with their rejection of our wrong methods. So it's better for us to ask the Lord to help us to be happy, wholesome, delightful Christians, and they, be, by seeing us, will say, my, whatever they believe must bless them, and I'd like to learn more about it. Thank you. The pastor in our church is excellent at administrating. 
but he is so dull when he preaches. It's hard to stay awake. And if you do stay awake, it's nearly impossible to get a blessing out of the material that is presented. What can be done? It is negatively affecting all of us, and especially the youth. Thank you so much. We should do, we should set an example, and we should do something that's very, very simple. For many years, I've made it a practice. When I go into church, and there are very few times you see that I go into a church and hear somebody else preach, I've made it a practice, first of all, to claim the promise of the Holy Spirit. And it says, He will guide us into all truth. Who will guide us? The Holy Spirit. And then there's this promise from Jesus. Blessed are they which do hunger and thirst after righteousness, for they shall be filled. As I go into the sanctuary, I ask God to feed my soul. Now, if the Holy Spirit is sought, he said he will come. And if I have the Holy Spirit teaching me, I can receive many blessings, no matter who is preaching. I can open my Bible. You know, it has hurt me many a time to see people come into church and just listen. And they never turn to their Bible to read. They never take pencil paper and follow any, any instruction that's given. They never study for themselves. They just sit and think about everything else. If we ask God for his Holy Spirit to guide us, if we ask him to teach us, I always make it a practice. There are very few exceptions. When I hear another man preach, when I'm sitting in the pew, whether he quotes, quotes the text or whether he reads it, I will open my Bible and read it. And I'll usually take notes as I'm praying for the Holy Spirit. This way, I'm being fed just as though I were in my own home, plus the fact I'm setting an example for all the brethren and sisters in the church to let the Holy Spirit speak to them through his inspired word. And the children can be encouraged to write out little texts of Scripture. And when we get home, we can review them. Which Scripture that the pastor presented impressed you the most today? Or what story, if he told a story, if he gave an example, if he presented an illustration? We don't have to have a very interesting speaker so long as we have the interesting Holy Spirit. Try it out. It will work. How is a person to fall in love with the Bible when it has so many things so difficult to understand? When I started reading the Bible, I started reading from the Gospels. Uh, I was, I think, in the second grade in school, maybe the first grade. And I took to school with me, to a public school, I took one of these New Testaments, large print New Testaments. And you know, I read the stories there. I think I skipped over the genealogies. And I read the story. Do you know the gospel of Jesus? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. They're thrilling stories. And as I, as a little boy, eight or nine years of age, for I didn't go to school till I was eight, as a little boy, eight and nine years of age, reading the New Testament, I was so thrilled with the stories that I'd find myself, actually, my eyes filled with tears as I would follow Jesus, this wonderful person, Jesus. And I saw him healing the sick and blessing people everywhere. I visualized 
his, traveling along. I saw the people coming to him. Oh, it was wonderful. I was thrilled. We should start with the stories of the Bible if we cannot become interested in any other way. There are many ways by which we can become interested in the Bible. Jesus went around telling stories and helping people. So evidently, God's choice way of our falling in love with his word and with him is to read the stories that he told. I read the story of Joseph. If you read the whole story in one setting, closing up all the windows and doors, so to speak, you read the whole story of Joseph, and if you don't, uh, don't find yourself in tears, then you're not like me. I can still read it and weep every time I read that story. You can't read a little snatch of the Bible. You read the whole, the whole story. So you've connect, uh, a connected story you have, you see. Read the story of, of Esther. Thrilling it is to the human heart. And then you branch out into other parts. And before, almost before you know it, you may say, well, I'll look at all the promises in the Bible and I'll see how they apply to me. That's very thrilling. It's a treasure hunt. And then from there you'll go on and on and the Lord will bless you as you drink in his words. You'll actually fall in love with the Bible. But that isn't all. 1 John 2, 14 and 15 says that in order to love God, we have to lay aside other things. I have found this, and many people have told me this as their experience. They cannot enjoy soap cereals and Wild West stories and sensual experiences on TV and radio and in books and magazines. They cannot absorb their minds with that and love the book at all. The two do not go together. I think of a young lady came to the altar one morning as I was making a call. She had told us before that she just couldn't like the Bible. She couldn't love it. She couldn't become interested. She told us, though, that she was reading all kinds of literature. And the Holy Spirit impressed her that morning that if she would fall in love with the Bible, she must lay aside all the other. And she said, and God came to my rescue. I found a new experience in Christ. Try it out. Mr. Kuhn, I have big teeth, and I'm kind of fat and the other kids always make fun of me. What can I do to make them like me? I have big teeth and I what? I'm kind of fat. Oh, kind of fat. This is something that'll help you. The Bible says in the book of Proverbs, he that hath friends must show himself friendly. You do have a problem, there's no question about it. And kids, quote unquote, seem to be the most cruel because they don't stop to realize that if they were in that position, they wouldn't want like people to laugh at them. So may I suggest that you think not in terms of your big teeth or of the fact that you're fat, but think in terms of how you can make some other boy or girl happy. As you unselfishly think of how to make them happy, you'll speak kindly of all the boys and girls. Don't shy away. Walk up to them and shake their hand, you know, or pat them on the back or give them a hug, something that a boy would do to another boy. Do you know, my friends, it's amazing how kids, quote unquote, like to be loved. Whether you're fat, whether you're slim, whether you're homely, whether you're ugly, whether you're beautiful, people want to be loved. They want us to take an interest in them. Do it and you'll be surprised the number of friends you can have. Here's a personal question for you. 
I've heard you are over 70 years old, Pastor Kuhn. How much longer do you, can, do you plan to continue your ministry? Bless your heart. <laughs> I plan to continue my ministry as long as there's breath in my lungs. I may not always be able to continue traveling, but my wife and I plan to travel as long as we can. And when we can no longer travel to our last breath, we want to, by God's grace, and we're not boasting. I believe this is what should be true with every Christian. Let us witness to Jesus in every breath of life, so to speak. It makes us happy. It's a rewarding experience in Christ. You try it too. And what is ministry? Ministry means helping others, meeting them at their conscious need, praying for the sick. Anybody can pray for the sick. Tell people that we're sorry for them when they're in trouble. Weep with those that weep. That's a ministry in which anyone can engage, and it's so rewarding. The Holy Spirit just does something to the human heart when we do this. There are many people in the church who seem to me to be hypocrites. I am uh, not acquainted with their habits of living, but I seem to be able to discern it just from the way they talk or smile and sometimes the way they walk. Is that right? Do you know I can sympathize with you? <laughs> I used to have the same attitude, and the Lord taught me he taught me some wonderful lessons. When I was back in school days, in school, I remember a young man I met. He was tall. He was handsome. His teeth were beautiful. And when he smiled, I said to myself, that boy is proud. He's egotistical. I want nothing to do with him. I made up my mind that I knew what was in the heart. As I later got acquainted with him, I found it was just the opposite. He felt inferior. He felt that he was liked in so many ways. And I just fell in love with him. I said, Lord, help me never again to judge anyone by appearances. You know, you remember when Samuel went over to the house of Jesse, who had seven sons, to anoint one of them to be the coming king? And the Lord told him to do this. And so he had uh, the sons of Jesse come and sort of parade, shall I say, before him, pass before him. And he looked at one of these boys. Oh, he was the essence of beauty. And he said, surely the Lord has chosen him. The Lord said, no, no. God doesn't look on the outward appearance. God looks on the heart. Don't try to size a person up as to character by the first glance of his features. And after Samuel looked at all of these noble-looking sons, the Lord said, no, I haven't chosen any of them. You haven't. Don't you have still another boy? Well, I have a little kid out there tending the sheep. Well, bring him in. <laughs> we won't have our banquet till he comes in. He comes in, and the Lord says, Samuel, this is the one. So may God help us never again to judge people by the appearance. This questioner says, <clears throat> I have a very great urge to straighten people up who do not eat the way I know they should. I find my whole soul and body revolting at their habits. Don't you think God is impressing me to denounce them? Won't I have to give an account to God if I don't? You'll have to give an account to God if you do. 
because God says to his own master, he stands or falls. God says, honor all men, 1 Peter 2, 17. This denouncing spirit that you think is of God is of the devil, definitely, because the devil is the accuser of the brethren. Revelation 12, 10. I would recommend that you fall on your knees before Jesus Christ and say, God, forgive me. Here I am, trying to take the place of the Holy Spirit to convict people. I'm doing what the devil is doing. I'm accusing them because they don't eat the way I eat. The kingdom of God is not meat and drink. My friends, and another thing, Second Peter Chapter 3:18 says, "Grow in grace." Oh, may God keep us from this disgraceful denunciation of others. May we grow in grace. Grace goes out to others in tenderness, in love, in kindness. Let's ask God to forgive anyone who feels like this right now. Shall we pray, dear Lord? Thank you that anyone would be willing to turn from this denunciatory attitude, the condemning attitude, the gossiping attitude, the belittling attitude. Thank you, Lord, for giving the power for us to turn from this most incurable sin that obsesses humanity. You've promised, Lord. Thank you for giving repentance, as you've promised in Acts 5.31. Thank you, dear Lord, that you're doing it as we humble our hearts before you. In Jesus' name, amen. This from a man. I enjoy humor, and I don't see anything wrong with kidding and innocent teasing. My wife doesn't see things the way I do, and she declares that I hurt people's feelings. I think she's oversensitive. Everyone knows I'm just kidding. Well, uh, how about asking somebody <laughs> that you've been kidding? She might be wrong. Maybe you aren't hurting their feelings. How about someday taking them to one side? You know, the Bible says, debate thy cause with thy neighbor himself. How about taking them to one side and saying, you know, I don't mean any of this. Did it hurt you? And, and find out from them personally. And if they say, oh, no, no, I knew exactly. I wasn't hurt at all. Then you'll know you aren't hurting them. If they say, well, <laughs> I did wonder a little, then you have tested it for yourself, do you see? You see, she may be wrong. Uh, there are a lot of people that fully understand men, understand men, and there are times. On the other hand, if in our kidding we have a secret thought of barbing them, that's a different story. If that's what we have in mind and we try to cover it with humor, then let's ask God to help us to change our ways completely. There are people who do that, and they say there's a lot of truth in a little, jo a, a, a little joking so it all depends what you're trying to send through to them, you see. May the Lord give you wisdom. He promises us. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God that giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not, it shall be given him. So, brother, sister, friend, let us ask God to help us to be kind and tender. In Ephesians, the fifth chapter and the 32nd verse, it says, be kind to one another, kindly affection, tender-hearted, forgiving one another. This is what the Holy Spirit wants to accomplish in us. Shall we pray? Dear Lord, we're so sorry wherein we have joked with anyone 
with the thought of a little barb. And Lord, forgive us wherein we have not been kind and sweet and wholesome. Thank you, you've said, though our sins be as scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. And Lord, as we close this special session, there may be a listener who has felt belittled by someone else and has become a little bitter. May that one know, dear Lord, that Jesus understands our heartache. And may we just now say, Lord, I open my heart to Jesus. Come into my heart, soothe my heart, take away the pain and the ache. We thank you for doing it. In Jesus' name, amen. This media was brought to you by Audioverse, a website dedicated to spreading God's word through free sermon audio and much more. If you would like to know more about Audioverse, or if you would like to listen to more sermons, please visit www.audioverse.org.